What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The cold hard truth about the Olympic journey is not really been financially incentivized in the same way that many other professional sports are. The business of basketball involves CBA, Global, our licensing arm, Think 450. All of those things will make up what that looks like. Money in sports is one of the reasons why I enjoy being on Monday Night Countdown. We talk about some of the more interesting aspects of business of sports. When you're talking sports, discipline is the bridge from being good to other being great at whatever it is that you're trying to be or accomplish at your profession. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Scarlett Fu will be joining us later today to chat with Bloomberg's Jerry Smith about Live Golf, Champions League TV rights, and whether Vince McMahon's misconduct scandal could end up bringing him down. Straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, we want to welcome veteran sports journalist and executive director of Seton Hall University Center for Sports Media, Jane McManus. We want her insight on some of the latest headlines, including a few involving female equity in sports. Let's start with Brittany Griner. Uh, she pleaded guilty in Russia. She's being held in a Russian jail right now. We were talking about this yesterday, Damien and I. We were wondering if this pleading guilty to the drug charges, even though it was a minuscule amount in uh, vape oil, is a plan to set something up for a prisoner swap later on. Well, I think we just saw that, right? I mean, former Governor Bill Richardson's getting involved here, and he's, you know, he's responsible for having some some success in this field. You know, he yeah. uh, freed former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed. What do you think, Jim? Well, I think, it's, you know, it's important to note that Reed had been in prison since 2009, a very long time, and that usually these kinds of things are not worked out that quickly. So if if this were to occur, and I think obviously there's a ton of public pressure, you know, the WNBA is keeping her name in the headlines. The NBA is as well. You have every single day a new person, a new player. Yeah. Dawn Staley was the one today tweeting, you know, how long she's been imprisoned. And and clearly she is wrongfully detained. I think it's important, though, to also note that, you know, there are over 100 American citizens who've been illegally detained in different countries across the world. And, you know, as much as it would be terrific to have Brittany Griner home last week, you know, this is a much larger issue. And you do have, I think, if you're the U.S. government, certainly not the WNBA, but if you're the U.S. government, you have to think about the relative safety of Americans abroad and mm -hmm. your ability to travel freely if you are doing, you know, if you're allowing what is essentially political hostage taking uh, to be rewarded so quickly. I mean, you make a great point there. I mean, Russia wants Victor Bout. You know, he's known as the merchant of death, right? And he's an arms dealer serving a 25-year sentence here in the States. And you're absolutely right. We also want Paul Whelan, who's a former U.S. Marine who's serving a 16-year sentence there. He's already been detained for two years. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's important to recognize the hoping that, that Brittany Griner was personally brought home and that her detainment ends with, you know, and the U.S. government has to balance that across everybody who travels and, you know, any single, you know, think about anybody in the future who plays sports, who wants to go play in Russia. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that's 
a much different calculation right now in terms of risk. But any fan who wants to go, you know, the World Cup was held in Russia um, very recently. And so all of these different things, I think, you know, this is part of a larger question. And, and Peng Shui, for me, comes up yeah. as well with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the Chinese tennis player who was detained before the Olympics and then kind of brought out in, in very scripted ways to interact with people uh, during the Olympics and, and has since not, I, you know, to my understanding, has not been freed. And, and that has really disrupted the WTA's way that it looks at holding international tournaments now and where it's going to have its year-end tournament. I mean, this is really, I think, if you, if you step back a bit, this is a much bigger picture in terms of kind of the shrinking of the global sports world in a way, um, because it does make the risk calculation so much different. Well, Professor, let's let's bring up the reason why Brittany Griner was in Russia in the first place is because there is still a pay discrepancy in the United States compared to other countries. She was getting paid more in Russia. So right. she wanted to, to make more money, and, and you can't blame anybody for that. When does this get solved? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the WNBA and the NBA are two very different leagues, leagues with two very different revenue structures. And so I, I, I think it's a little bit... Um, and I am very much, for example, in the, where you have a more of an apples and apples, which would be the U.S. men's national team and the men's national team, and their relative success, which is more comparable under a single league. That, to me, is is more clear-cut case. But the WNBA is different. It does not command the same television audiences, the same revenue. It doesn't command the same audiences. So I don't know if you can say, quote-unquote, equal pay for the women in the WNBA, but certainly more equitable pay. And I think in the, you know, the 2020 uh, recalculation of that CBA, that certainly was the, the pay structure did improve. It is more commensurate with the amount of revenue that the women were bringing in and the increase in interest and also forcing the NBA to monetize revenue streams that it had ignored um, over the years and, you know, and really kind of make that happen. And there are systemic issues, I think, in women's sports that the market is deflated artificially. Um, we can certainly get into some of those things but but i think that's that's an inherent problem but i I think equal pay is is you know it's a bit of a misnomer when it comes to the WNBA. that said you know there are plenty of places that you could play abroad where you could make money other than uh you know an authoritarian regime that's very hostile to lgbtq people like russia has been and you know and i think that might be the calculation going forward and there are lots of players who actually do want to play abroad i mean it's been you know, I covered the first year of the WNBA in New York Liberty, and they, they spoke Italian on the court to one another. And it was, you know, it was great. It was like, oh, because these women really couldn't earn a living in the U.S. And things have changed, and you certainly don't want people to be forced to play year-round if they don't want to, but you want them to have that option, certainly. It should be available to them if they want to, you know, if they want to play abroad. But but obviously, the, the main goal is to improve the revenue structures here, the endorsement ability here, to be able to earn that money here if they'd like. Up next on the show, we can continue our conversation with Jane McManus on Brittany Griner, and we'll get into female pay equity in sports straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm on Twitter at The Sass Hour. And don't forget to catch our podcast. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on all your podcast platforms right here on Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Damian Sassauer, and we're speaking with the Executive Director of Center for Sports Media at Seton Hall University, Jane McManus, and we were talking about Brittany Griner being detained in Russia. Jane, let me ask you a question. If this is LeBron James, is he serving 145 days in prison in Russia? I mean, you know, I mean, how do you factor the, I mean, you're right, there are systemic challenges, systemic differences between women's and men's, forget about basketball, sports in general, but in this case, is she just not a high-profile enough athlete to command the respect from a hostile government like Russia? Does that play a role here? You know, I really have a hard time with that one because I just don't know what the case would be. I I think the outrage, you know, if you did have a LeBron involved or Tom Brady, let's say, or something like that, yes, it would be it would be much larger because they just command a larger percentage of sure. the American sports mind, you know, right, consciousness. But at the same time, I mean, I do think that, uh, you know, you have to keep in mind that you know, at first, it wasn't that people didn't want to speak up. It was that people were being told that if you make too big a deal about this yeah, yeah. or think let that Vladimir Putin think he has too high quality an asset, that that getting her out of there would be more difficult. And then when that strategy failed and it was pretty it failed pretty spectacularly, then you have people talking. And I, and I think that the outrage has been loud. I think most people know who Brittany Griner is. It's certainly you know, her detainment has stoked up opinions on the right and the left about this. It's very visible um, within the world of the NBA, WNBA, that she is not there. Storytelling is absolutely critical and no one's better, especially in sports, right? I mean, look at, you know, the impact of Drive to Survive in Formula One, Jane, you know, look at the Mm. last dance, look at winning time, look at all this stuff, you know, what stories have yet to be told in sports or adapted to the big screen? I mean, is there anything that stands out to you? Oh my gosh. Well, um, that's a great question. I wish I could have prepped for this. Um, no, I think, you know, because I think I think the story of the economics of women's sports is a story that has yet to be told. And that's a different one. That's a difficult one to translate into the screen. But I, I would say, you know, um, Billie Jean King's ability to uh, to really tell the story of women's sports and the money 
um, the money aspect of it. You know, how she was consulted by almost every single woman who tried to start a sports league from the year 1973 into the current time. I mean, she really has been kind of um, overseeing the way that women are trying to monetize sports, the way that different leagues have tried to monetize sports and failed and succeeded. And she has, I think, so much knowledge when it comes to that. When her book came out, she really did tell her personal story, which was fantastic. But I think there are more stories to tell just because she's been such a seminal figure when it comes to that. The movie about Billie Jean King, when that came out, and I remember watching it as a kid, the famous Astrodome tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. And I'm looking at this, and here's a dude coming out with the sugar daddy and all this other stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking as a kid, I'm like, Come on, Billy Jean, beat the hell out of this guy, man! It was, I, it, I, I remember that so vividly that that was a mark at that time that really propelled women's sports. Your opinion about that? A hundred percent. Well, I was, you know, I was born in 1971, so I consider myself kind of the contemporaneous of, of Title IX, just a year off. And um, <laughs> and I, was, so I would have been two when that match happened, and I swear I remember it as well. <laughs> I, I can't say I actually remember it, but at the same time, it's such an apocryphal story, and so you know, it played such a role. I was raised in the South, and and I'm pretty sure that I might have been the only person rooting for Billy Jean in my <laughs> immediate surroundings. And you know, and it just was. It was like it was a real moment where I was like, okay, I think I, I think I might belong. You know, I think I might belong as a play. You know, gave me the confidence to argue my way into. Uh, you know, neighborhood uh, baseball games and football games. And that was kind of my start in sports. You know, I was the lone woman on many a pickup basketball court in New York City, like back in the 90s, you know, always arguing my way in, always having to endure the joke about shirts or skins and <laughs> um, and and always, you know, kind of proving myself well enough to be able to play in, in a regular pickup game. So, you know, I'm certainly, um, and I don't know, you know, if Billie Jean King hadn't beaten Bobby Riggs, I don't know that that would have been my story. Well, now that we're reaching back to, I mean, we, we've got to, I've got to ask you, you know, you spent 10 years covering the NFL for ESPN, Jane. So, I mean, talk yeah. to me about yeah. Joe Buck, Adam Schefter. I mean, what's, what's the environment <laughs> like over there? I mean, you know, obviously it must've been an amazing experience. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, so I, I, I had, I based in New York, I covered a lot of Jets and Giants games. And I have to say like for, you know, for the, for the large part, like that was a great experience. And, you know, there was not certainly a lot of players that I covered and in the New York market, you know, people are expecting women to be in the locker room. And, and you know, lo- the locker room situation is different post-pandemic because they're not open in the same ways that they used to be. Sure. But um, players and, and coaches now expect women to be part of the media scrum. And that's, you know, that's a bit different. And, and I never had to argue my way into into that setting at all. I think, again, I think there are some more structural issues when it comes to broadcasting in terms of the roles for women, um, you know, very much assigned roles as sideline and host. And, you know, we certainly, women certainly break out of those roles and there are women, you know, as producers, et cetera. But often, you know, you're still the first one to do it in your particular world and you have to kind of argue your way in and then prove yourself. And you're, it's notable that you're generally one of a few women in the room. So, and I, you know, I, I do think there are a lot of networks that try to change that, but it's, it's such slow pace that it ends up meaning, you know, that every single woman who comes into the business has to be a revolutionary in one way or another. And that's a challenge. And it's nothing wrong with being the, a sideline reporter, but I'd like to see more women in the booth calling the game. Because that, that's a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, exactly. that, we need that. 
And the women who do it, are, I mean, and the men who do it, silent reporting is an incredibly difficult job to do it well. Right. You have to be ears on the ground. You have to be noticing things. You have to be have a, a medical degree to figure out yeah. who broke <laughs> what when. I mean, it's a real skill, and, and I think that's a bit discounted. Um, but because it is the most visible role, it is also the most acceptable role for women. So I, I, don't, I do not mean to disparage anyone who's ever done right. that role and done it well. And we have some great examples of journalists who've made their way through sideline reporting. Andrea Kramer comes to mind. She mm-hmm. is fantastic um, and, and came up through sideline and doing it incredibly well. I, I used to hold, I think I've told this story a number of times, but I got to tell it again. <laughs> uh, it, Please. When the old USFL <laughs> was around, this was the original start of the USFL, and I'm I'm a youngin in radio, and uh, the Michigan Panthers are playing at the old Pontiac Silverdome, and I'm you know on this game holding the parabolic mic, and here comes a sweep. <laughs> And as I'm seeing this sweep coming directly at me, I hear the producer in my headset say, whatever you do, save the mic. <laughs> so, yes, I agree. Just simply being on the sidelines is something. You need hazard pay. <laughs> We've been talking about equity for female athletes in the pros. Let's talk about college athletes because, yeah, we hear about it. Uh, the male college athletes getting this or that endorsement, but we don't hear as much about it with women college athletes. Uh, can you talk about that and, and where that bridge needs to begin? That, that to me is interesting. I, I guess I think back to when Gatorade uh, made Paige Beckers its first big name NIL endorsee, uh, UConn basketball player. And she, um, I think it was a million dollars. I guess somebody can check my math on that. But it was certainly for, for quite a bit of money, you know, blockbuster type of deal. And I think the that did two things, right? It made women in, in college athletics players in that game in a big way. You know, there's a lot of value when it comes to having, uh, you know, kind of women in your slate of people you're sponsoring. Women do very well in terms of social media and fan engagement. Some of those numbers are really high, um, as high as, as, you know, male athletes, for sure. So, you know, in doing that um, and then having a, a, you know, woman like Paige on the roster, you really can reach a lot of fans. Um, You get really good bang for your advertising buck in that way. Um, It was also a a quote-unquote good news story. I think that in the investment in women's sports is still seen as you know, in some ways, uh, it got a little bit of shine on it. But that's also the other side of that is, you know, there are a lot of people who are not sure about NIL and whether or not it's going to absolutely destroy college sports. So having kind of the, you know, putting a, a woman uh, on your roster, first and foremost, is a way of kind of diffusing some of that criticism. You know, certainly some people have said Title IX is going to be impacted for this because you can't account for the equity because, you know, the people who are in, who are signing these athletes to NIL deals are not receiving federal funds. So there's no mandate for them to do it equitably. So I think, you know, in that way, it's interesting to me to see how some of these deals have evolved and been named. Also, I think there's the fact that some, you know, women in college sports are getting NIL deals, not because of how well they play, but how well they kind of fit the idea of attractiveness in Mm -hmm. in our current cultural standards of beauty, um, which is also another difficult conversation to have. Again, I don't begrudge any any of those athletes who've gotten those deals, the money that they are earning. Um, but at the same time, I think it does raise a question about, you know, who is getting the deals in women's sports and for what reasons and whether or not it does something to advance the idea of women in sports or um, or not. 
But ultimately, though, I think the quote-unquote revenue-generating sports like uh, men's basketball and football are the ones that are going to be getting the big deals when it all shakes out. I can think of many other sports where there is such a discrepancy between men and women. And I'm a big auto racing nut. We we need more women on the racetrack. Outside of racing, uh, in general, do you see any other sports where we really need to, hey, Come on, include everybody, because there's no reason why you shouldn't. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Michael, because I I think there are two ways to look at this. Yes, visibility is super important, but you also want to have women behind the scenes. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't there a woman running one of the big crews in auto racing right now? Yes, yes. Williams. Yeah. So that's, I think, you know, I think those are important gains as well, where you have Kim Ng, you know, at the Marlins, you have, uh, you know, women kind of, making their way into front offices. Sandra Douglas Morgan, roles. yeah, at the Raiders. Yes, exactly. So so to me, like, these are just as important as well. And I, and I think there's real there are real gains being made in that way. You know, the Raiders just named a new president um, who is coming out of the Nevada Gaming Commission. Like, there are lots of different ways that women are now um, showing that they are that they are qualified for these roles and are being tapped for them. And so that seems to be something that's changing. And I think that's a positive development. And, you know, we're going to hopefully see more of that uh, as it goes along, because, you know, certainly the argument can be made that, you know, a woman might not be qualified to be a linebacker um, for a pro team, but she's certainly qualified to call that game. She's right. certainly qualified to be a coach. She's certainly qualified uh, to run the books. She, you know, there right. are any any number of ways that women can be involved in sports, just like men who didn't play at the professional level are involved in sports. Jane McManus, Executive Director of the Center for Sports Media at Seton Hall University. That's Professor Jane McManus to you guys <laughs> out there. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time, sitting down and talking with us. We really do appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Up next on the show, Scarlett Fu would join us as we turn to some of this week's sports headlines with Bloomberg's Jerry Smith. And we'll dive into Vince McMahon's misconduct allegations, live golf, and how much Champions League TV rights could go for in the U.S. I'm Michael bar straight ahead on the bloomberg business of sports show you can follow me on twitter at big bar sports and i'm on twitter at the sass hour and don't forget to catch our podcast that's mondays wednesdays and thursdays on all your podcast platforms and right here on bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. 
Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. And there are a few headlines in sports we want to go over, including Live Golf. For more on that, let's bring in Bloomberg's Jerry Smith. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Let's begin with Liv. Jerry, your thoughts. I mean, this is something. So Liv Golf is this new golf league, and it's controversial for a few reasons. The the biggest is that it is uh, backed by uh, Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund. So, you know, the golfers who have joined this league are getting a lot of criticism from people who feel like you shouldn't be aligning yourself with a golf tour that's backed by a country with a history of human rights abuses. So that's been very controversial, but Live Golf has been a lot more successful than I think a lot of people would have thought. They've been able to recruit a lot of big name golfers, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, and they've had two events so far. And, you know, the other thing about Live Golf is they are able to get these golfers from the PGA Tour because they're offering more money. I mean, the, the purses that these guys are playing for and live golf is much bigger than, you know, your typical PGA Tour event. Yeah. And, and the schedule is lighter. And, and so, um, you know, a lot of these golfers, a lot of them are um, older and are not as competitive as they used to be and are seeing these huge uh, guaranteed checks. Yeah. I mean, dead, dead, dead last in a live golf event still makes $120,000, and then the winner gets $3 million. Jerry, the thing that is interesting now, because we know the PGA Tour feels under threat, the Justice Department is now looking into how the PGA Tour is responding, which I thought was really interesting. Is it unusual for the DOJ to step in like this? It is. Um, the PGA Tour has suspended indefinitely any of their uh, members who've joined the uh, live golf circuit. So, you know, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, all these guys are essentially banned from playing on the PGA Tour again. This is it's unusual, but it's actually not without precedent. Um, The Federal Trade Commission back in the early 90s uh, investigated the PGA Tour for a similar uh, situation where and it was actually Greg Norman again in the early 90s who wanted to start a rival golf tour from the PGA Tour. He called it World Golf. And it even went as far as Fox was willing to, uh, to buy the television rights for World Golf. And the PGA Tour threatened to suspend the golfers who joined World Golf. And the FTC spent several years investigating. Ultimately, they decided not to pursue any sort of legal action against the tour. And that has a lot to do with the fact that the tour 
did a very aggressive job in Washington, D.C., getting members of Congress to write letters to the FTC saying, you know, back off the PGA Tour. They do a lot of good things for charities. So it'll be really interesting to see how the PGA Tour responds to this Justice Department investigation and, and whether they try to uh, you know, rally a lot of support in Washington on their behalf. Gary, let's talk about the Live product. How does it compare to you know, the PGA and did you like it? Yeah, I spent um, last weekend um, binge watching uh, Live Golf second tournament. This was outside of Portland. And I mean, the first thing to note is it's not on um, U.S. television. Uh, you know, all the big TV networks, uh, NBC, CBS, ESPN, they already have long-term deals with the PGA Tour. So they're not broadcasting this. So if you want to watch Live Golf, you have to watch it on YouTube or Facebook or on the Live Golf website. Um, you know, I, I watched several hours of it. Um, on one hand, it's pretty similar to what you might watch in the PGA Tour. On the other hand, there are some real differences that I think are genuine improvements. I mean, there's no commercials, and that's a big frustration for a lot of golf fans. You know, there's a shotgun start, which means that all the players start on the course at the same time on different holes. So you don't have to wait for the golfers to tee off one by one or have the leaders finish hours before the telecast starts. So I watched it and I thought, you know, I'm watching a lot more golf shots than I normally would on, the, on a PGA Tour event. Uh, the format's different. They have, they're not only competing individually, but they also have these four-man teams. And the four-man teams, whoever wins that also gets a couple million dollars. Uh, I mean, that's really the thing that they hit you over the head with when you're watching Live Golf. It's just, it's all about the money. You know, they, the announcers are constantly reminding you of how, how much money is at stake, how these guys have never played for this much money in their life. Uh, I mean, one thing that's really important is these guys aren't playing for world ranking points right now. And that matters because world ranking points uh, determine who gets to play in the majors. So you're in a situation now where some of these live golf guys may never get to play in the Masters or the U.S. Open or the British Open or PGA Championship because they play on a tour that doesn't give them the points that would qualify them. There is another big story to talk about. Vince McMahon's reign at WWE, it is threatened by misconduct claims. The 76-year-old executive, Jerry, uh, is in trouble. Take us through that. That's right. I mean, there's been uh, reports in the Wall Street Journal uh, in recent weeks about how uh, Vince McMahon has made um, you know, several million dollars in payments to women that he's allegedly sexually harassed or had uh, affairs with. And so now the uh, WWE's board has launched an investigation into these allegations, and uh, we're waiting to see what the outcome of that investigation is. In the meantime, uh, Vince McMahon has uh, stepped aside as the CEO, and his daughter Stephanie McMahon has, um, has taken, taken over that role. You know, one thing that's important to note is Vince McMahon still is um, in creative control of WWE, and, and that's important because what you really see on the broadcasts of a WWE wrestling match is, uh, you know, that's Vince's brainchild. Uh, he also owns the majority of the voting shares of the company, so he's still in control of the company, but we're all waiting to see what the outcome of this investigation is. Yeah, one thing that you've made clear through your reporting is that Vince McMahon has changed professional wrestling. He's made it profitable and all these different stakeholders are invested in what he's created. What has been his secret sauce? Like, what is it that he does that no one else can do? And therefore, even with all this misconduct, people are reluctant to see him go. Well, I mean, he, if you go back decades, I mean, he, um, you know, he took what was essentially a bunch of regional businesses around the country and he consolidated them all into this big national product. And WWE's even gone national, uh, international now. 
Um, so he's, he's just, a, he's built this, um, wrestling into this global, uh, entertainment empire. He's struck very lucrative deals with Fox and NBC universal. I mean, the WWE matches are on USA. They're on the Peacock streaming service. Uh, so the exposure that this sport has gotten under Vince McMahon's leadership has, has grown exponentially. WWE has, even in their SEC filings, have, have warned investors that if Vince McMahon no longer was involved in the, the creative process, that would be a, a real material problem for the company. I mean, he's really the brainchild of all of the drama that happens at WWE. And, and so if he were to get pushed out over this, uh, you know, it could have a real impact on the company. Championship League soccer rights expected to top $2 billion in the U.S., Jerry. That's right. So uh, UEFA uh, this week kicked off the process of selling uh, their U.S. media rights. And uh, we've reported that pretty much every major sports broadcaster has expressed interest in these rights from NBC and ESPN, CBS, even Apple and Amazon. Um, And so this is going to be a really big test of the value of soccer in America. The last big test we got was the Premier League rights last year, which NBC renewed their contract for the Premier League at a significant premium. And I think that the soccer clubs with UEFA's Champions League, and, and again, this is Europe's uh, Champions League is Europe's uh, top soccer tournament. I mean, this is the highest level of European soccer. They feel like they're going to uh, get a significant increase in their in the price of the rights for uh, their U.S. media broadcasts. Bloomberg's Jerry Smith. If you're lucky enough to have the Bloomberg terminal, or if you can go online, check out. His articles, they are very good, second to none. Jerry Smith, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thanks for having me. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right, all right, all right. It's time for the number of the week. And this one, this is a simple one. Pickleball, as everybody knows, it's become very popular. It's kind of a cross between a racket, paddle ball sport. I want to know, what year was it first created? Now, we're talking we're talking pickleball. We're not talking paddle tennis, right? No, we're talking pickleball. I will tell you, what I'm looking for is the date that it was first played in Bainbridge Island, Washington. It's got to be. It's got to be recent, right? It's got to be like the 80s or something. It's got to be like 1982. Damien has put his stamp on 1982. I'm going to say 1991. <laughs> We're way off, right? Tell me it's like 1860. I, I really thought you had that look on your face, Scarlett, like, I'm going to go a little earlier. And I'm like, she's going to get it. No. <laughs> Uh, it was first played in 1965. Oh, my God. Uh, the 60s, really? Yeah. But is it, why, why has it just taken off then? That's a very good question. 2022, pickleball was adopted as the official state sport of Washington. That's this year. I know. After 1960-something? like 19, how? 1965. Wow. Ah, wow. Pickleball fans, I love you. Scarlett, I'm sorry. I we really thought again. you had it. I know. We'll hit the reset button next week. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, and we're here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcast. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports.
I'm Scarlett Fu, and you can find me on Twitter at Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer, and you can find me on Twitter at D Sassauer. And another victory for Damian. I'm very sorry, Scarlett. He just, you know, picked up that the was Mike hardly Lynch a victory. But uh, we have uh, some lovely parting gifts. Real pickles. That's this time. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us. Tune in next week for the latest on the stories moving big money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports with Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.